right, Judges chapter 14. Anybody know all the judges? Nobody's going to try to do all the judges tonight. Nobody wants to show off. Y'all are too humble, that's a problem, right? No. Alright, let's go ahead and say, let's try to say them all together. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. So, rough, rough group of names there to remember. You don't hear these ones all the time. But we are still on Samson. So, it's been two weeks since we uh, did the last one. Last week we had the Lord's Supper. But just a reminder of where we left off in Judges chapter 13, we see the birth of Samson that's mentioned. And it also referenced how God blessed him and how the Spirit of God would move him at times. So, as far as the exploits of Samson up to this point here in chapter 14, we really don't know what they are. The Bible doesn't give any details. Um, when it's talking about the Spirit moving at times, I don't know if that's a reference to um, some of the stories we're about to start reading or if God had done some of these things with him before. It's kind of hard to tell just from that chapter. But either way, we don't know any stories of Samson um, that are good uh, yet it hasn't told any. So right the so right now though here in the beginning of chapter fourteen, it kind of immediately starts off with Samson making a mistake, with Samson messing up. And while it may seem sometimes like the Bible focuses on the negative, you know we need to understand. I do. I believe these historical books. I'm just I'm convinced of this. I don't have a verse that tells me. This is, this is what it is, but just when I'm reading the books of Joshua through Second Chronicles, what I feel like I am reading is a, basically a detailed history explaining why the children of Israel went into captivity, because it's mostly focusing on where they messed up. It will reference good periods of time where they did right. Joshua it, there's a lot of good stories in Joshua. And it's like Joshua, you know, they're showing how good things started. I mean, look how God was blessing Israel. Look at all the things that God did for them. And then, you know, and look how much God blessed and how prosperous things were when they followed the Lord. But then in Judges is when it just really starts going downhill. And it gets really bad. And then they have some periods of revival. And then it's right back into trouble again. And that's just what we see through the entire history until finally you have the prophets I, you know, uh, like Jeremiah warning Israel all these things that God said was going to happen, it's coming. And Jeremiah's like, and it's coming on this generation. You're not getting out of it anymore. And, and I've heard some people, uh, and I don't know where they get this from, but you know, uh, I don't know if it's some extra biblical source, some extra writing out there. Some have even, uh, I've, I've read some things that people say that it was Jeremiah that actually kind of compiled all these books together and uh these these historical books and i have no idea where they would get that from but i mean it kind of makes sense but e either way i do think though that's why we are seeing so much of the negative but at the same time while we're going to see a lot of negative stuff about samson you know it is important too though that we point out the fact that there is one other place in the Bible besides Judges where Samson's mentioned. Only one. Anybody know where it is? It's a pretty good place to be mentioned. 
Hebrews chapter 11. He's one of the people that it mentions where it says in verse 32, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and of Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. So understand Samson did do some good things and thank God for that. And never, but you know, never allow the fact that God is merciful to sinners and gives them imputed righteousness to be an excuse for you to sin. Because while, it, while it's good that God doesn't remember your sins, just understand Samson died being humiliated with no eyes. And, that, and, and I talked about this two weeks ago. God was glorified in Samson, wasn't he? But it didn't turn out very good for Samson. It could have been so much better. It could have, but God's will was done. And it is an interesting thing too. I've heard people talk about this. But it is interesting how very little that is, is negatively said about saved people from the Old Testament. I mean, when you read about a lot of the people in the Old Testament, they look pretty bad. Most, pe- most of us wouldn't think Lot was even saved if it wasn't for the New Testament when it was talking about just Lot, vexed with a filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them. What? Lot was righteous? The guy who lived in Sodom? The guy who called the Sodomites brethren? The guy whose daughters did the wicked thing that they did with him while he was drunk? That guy was righteous? What in the world? But you know, I, I think it's just a picture of just what the blood of Christ does for people and what, how important imputed righteousness is. You know, you read the New Testament, you never know David did anything bad. But yet when we read the Old Testament, we see all kinds of stuff. And so, uh, you know, there's a great lesson there. But at the same time, too, don't ever let that make you comfortable. Because while God looks at them as righteous, while they, you know, they have that imputed righteousness, while they were on earth dealing with the consequences of their sin, it was really bad. And without a doubt, they were full of great regret. I mean, when we're going to eventually see the end of Samson's life, and he was, he, he was full of regret at those final moments of his life. And thankfully, God was merciful and gave him a victory, but he didn't even get to enjoy that victory. He died with those Philistines. And so I'm telling the end of the story, but I'm assuming everybody already knows the end of the story. So, uh, But either way, here in chapter 14 is where we're going to start seeing where Samson started going wrong. It's never just one thing. And it says in verse 1, And Samson went down to Timnath, and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. And let me tell you, while I have no problem with a guy seeking a woman and following the necessary protocols to get that woman, I highly recommend that you know, the young man seek counsel from his parents or other godly individuals. This was... This was not a good idea for him to just see a woman and just go to his parents, get her for me to wife. That's just, Samson was a very impulsive individual. We're going to see that. But here's the thing about that too. This woman too, while obviously Samson was just looking at the outward, she was technically somebody who was completely off limits. She was of the Philistines. The Israelites were not to be marrying 
with the Philistines. This was a direct, uh, this was direct disobedience against God. And notice in verse three, it says, then his father and mother said unto him, is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. And again, Samson clearly is focused on one thing that most young men focus on. And I'm telling you, listen, just this is important for, you know, single guys to understand. All you married guys is too late. But, you know, just understand they might be pretty, but you have to live with them. Okay? And they have opinions. They have emotions. They don't always look made up. You know, they're, they're, you know it, it, it can be bad. And let me tell you, there's been a lot of guys who have been married to really pretty women who killed themselves. And, you know, and we're just so just understand, you know, beauty's only skin deep, uh, all that, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, rottenness, it goes to the bones. Just and, and listen, I understand guys looking at the outward. You know, when we had when we've done our, our newlywed game here. And we've asked questions like the first impression of the wife and all that. I mean, what does the guy have to say? She was pretty. I mean, that's always the first thing. You know, I mean, you know, ladies, if, if, you, you know, when they, if they want to get a husband, you know, it, it does help if you're pretty. Because that, that's what originally gets their attention. But let me tell you, if guys see a pretty girl and then you find out, man, this girl is just rotten, dump her. It's not worth it. Okay? It's, it's just not worth it. And we're going to see that here with Samson. Okay, we're we're going to see that this, this is this is important. I, I you know I just I'm going to plan on giving some dating advice tonight in this message because you know I don't you know I'm preaching through this chapter and there's just some great principles in here and so we're we're going to hit on some of this stuff. But verse four, but his father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he saw an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now that passage there, it can make it can be a little confusing because it would seem that God was causing Samson to want her as a way to start some things that would cause him to defeat the Philistines. And and I do think Samson clearly was probably already backsliding on God, and God is kind of multitasking here, and he's going to deal with Samson, but he's also going to deal with the Philistines at the same time. It's almost as if what we're about to see, it was God putting Samson, and it's like before God deals with Samson, and God basically punishes him while punishing the Philistines, which is ultimately what God does. God is, it's like he puts him, he's going to put him through a series of tests, giving him a chance to repent, giving him a chance to get right. And either way, like I taught before, God was going to be glorified with Samson. God's will was going to be done through Samson. The question is, is this going to turn out good for Samson or is it going to turn out bad? So verse 5 says, Then Samson went down to his father and mother of Timnath, and they came into the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. Now, does anybody remember the first part of the Nazarite vow? One of the big things. You're not to even touch anything that's of the vine. So Samson, what is he even doing in a vineyard? What's he doing in a vineyard? For, and notice, he's, he's not in God's will going after this woman from Timnath as far as you know, what God 
You know, this, this, is, this is in disobedience. God's allowing this to take place because God is basically... You know, what he's, I, I preached a message not too long ago uh, where I talked about the stirring of the Spirit. And we went through some examples in the Bible how God... It would talk about how God would stir the hearts of the kings to do certain things. He would, and sometimes He would stir up nations against other nations as judgment. And one of the things I explained in there is while the Bible doesn't give the details of how God stirred up their hearts, without a doubt, God you probably used different circumstances, different people to affect. I don't, I don't think God just made Cyrus one day, just like, you know what? I'd like for the Jews to rebuild the temple. There was probably somebody in the kingdom that had talked with Cyrus or whatever that, you know, that God used to move his heart to do those things. And so what we're seeing right now is God is wanting to deal with the Philistines. God's wanting to use Samson to deal with the Philistines. So God is causing all these things to take place that in reality is going to create a great deal of hostility between Samson and the Philistines. Because God wants them fighting. And God's going to make sure that Samson wins. Because God wants to defeat the Philistines so Israel can be delivered. So here we have Samson you know, on his way to violate God's law to go get a wife of the Philistines. And then a lion ends up meeting him while he's in a place that he shouldn't be. Now, there's, there are, there's some places Christians shouldn't be. And imagine if you walked into one of those places where you knew you shouldn't be, you know, and then the chandelier almost falls on you or something like that. You know, you're going to be like, I think God's trying to tell me something. And, you know, what you would think, Samson, when he's, go, he's in a vineyard, what business does a guy have? Well, you know, I wasn't going to eat anything. I wasn't going to drink anything. What are you even doing in there? It's like me. If I went to, somebody, if I went to a bar or something, well, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to go hang out there. Listen, I'd be afraid of what was going to happen to me in there. I, I, I have no business in there. I have no need to be in there. And if I did, for whatever reason, go in there and something happened, I'd be convinced, man, it was God trying to tell me. To do something, but you know, some, what, what what happens a lot of times though, it doesn't always work like it did with Samson, where God sends a line or something like that. Sometimes nothing happens, and then we think we got away with it. But the truth is, God was just being merciful to us. You see, you got to watch out for that. So if you if you do if you if you go somewhere you shouldn't go and you don't get eaten by a line or have a chandelier fall on you, don't think God's you know okay with it because He could just be being, being merciful. We're supposed to learn from Samson. But anyway, Samson goes in, a young lion roars against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And this is another reason, too, why there's just certain places that you shouldn't go, because of the fact that if something great happens there, you can't tell anybody about it, because then you have to explain what you're doing there. And I heard my dad used to tell a story in church years ago about a preacher one time who just decided, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go golfing on Sunday. And he went golfing on Sunday instead of going to church. He's like, you know, everybody else in church does it. Why can't I do it too? And he went out there that day. And you know what happened to him while he was out golfing? He hit a hole in one. And it was just like, he was so excited, but then all of a sudden he realized, I can't even tell anybody about it. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, so what was the point? You can't even brag about it. And that was like God's way of getting him. And so here Samson does this amazing thing, 
but he can't tell his mom and dad about it. Because you know what they're going to say? What were you doing in the vineyard? What were you doing there? You had no business being in there. So he did. He had. He ended up having to keep it to himself. And I do. I think this was God being merciful, giving him a warning. I sent that line after you, Samson. But I also gave you my spirit, so you had the strength to defeat that lion. Okay. So it, this was like a first test that he had, and unfortunately, Samson he didn't he didn't listen to it. And sadly, though, most of the time, dramatic things like this don't happen when we do wrong. And then we are foolishly emboldened to continue doing wrong, not having the wisdom to realize God's just being merciful. But let me tell you, if God gives you those hints, you better, you better get a clue. Verse 7 says, And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion... And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of a lion. So first off, we have him going into a vineyard. And now he's going back into the vineyard again. And then he decides to go look at the lion. I'm going to go see my kill. It's been really tough not being able to brag about me killing that lion. But, you know, I want to go kind of see it and, you know, relive my victory. Well, you know what? That also was a violation of his Nazarite vow because they weren't allowed to approach any dead thing. He hasn't learned his lesson. Now he's violated another part of his Nazarite vow and notice there was, a, there was honey in the carcass of a lion. And it's like, you know, what's going on here? And again, I think God's testing him with this stuff. He's going to see if he's going to be obedient. And, but you know what? Samson didn't get struck down. Samson got victory. He's emboldened to do even more. He approaches this dead lion, which he is not supposed to do, and he takes honey from it. And it says, and he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat. But he told them not that he had found, that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of a lion. You know why he didn't tell him? Because his parents would have got on to him again. Samson, you are a Nazarite. You are special. An angel announced your birth to us and said, you were to be a Nazarite from your mother's womb. You are not to approach any dead thing. You have, you have gone against that Nazarite vow. And so he did. He just kept, he kept it a secret. He kept it to himself. It says, so his father went down unto the woman and Samson made there a feast for so used the young men to do. And it's worth noting right now too here how, you know, when it comes to relationships, courting, dating, whatever, marriage, the Bible does not give us specific commands on how everything needs to take place. But, Every culture has traditions and ways they typically do things. And as long as those things don't violate Bible commands, it's okay to go along with those things. You know, and you know, typically in our American culture, uh, you know, the, the, um, you know the, you're not supposed to see the bride in her wedding dress before the wedding. You know, there's nothing wrong with following that tradition. I mean, thankfully, if you do see her that way, it's not going to ruin your marriage or anything like that. But, you know, typically, too, the bride's family pays for the wedding. You know, typically, too, you know, you're supposed to go ask the father. And I think that's good. But, again, when, you know, when it comes to all those things, I always tell guys, find out what that girl's family expects and you respect the father's wishes. And I, I always tell guys, you follow the protocols of the girl's family. And unless it's something that violates the scripture. And if, if their family's stricter than we are, 
Guess what? You follow their rules. If their families are less strict than ours, then you follow our rules. You know, and that's kind of how that's kind of how we've explained these things with our boys. And I, I do. I think that's I think all that stuff's very important and, and go along with that stuff. I know in the Mexican culture, typically the uh, the groom pays for the wedding. And so that's why, you know, I thought my girls aren't or my boys aren't allowed to marry Mexican girls, but my girls can all marry Mexican guys. They don't have to pay for any weddings. But but I, I'm, I'm just kidding on that. But again, I think it's OK to follow that stuff. And so one of the things that they did back then in this culture, whenever a wedding was coming up, uh, the the groom would throw a feast. Okay? Nothing wrong with that kind of thing. Nothing wrong with baby showers and all that kind of stuff. Nothing wrong with all that. Um, but uh, lost my lost my spot. So, yeah, so he he has this uh, feast and then it goes on to say. In verse 11, and it came to pass that when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And, you know, and I don't understand this because I don't understand the culture, but apparently, you know, since he's not a Philistine, he doesn't have friends, so they bring friends. All right, these guys will be the participants at your feast. Okay? And whatever this is, this was something that went along with that culture. And, um, and so verse 12 and Samson said to them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If ye can certainly declare at me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. But if ye cannot declare at me, then shall ye give me 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. And they said unto him, put forth thy riddle that we may hear it. Now, I don't fully understand why I decide to do this. Maybe in that, you know, uh, in bridal showers, a lot of times there's certain types of games women play. I don't know what they are. Never been to a bridal shower. But I don't know if this was something that the Philistines did. I don't know if it's something that the Jews did. But Samson, he just decides that, you know, what, I'm going to put forth this riddle and I'm just going to bet these guys that they can't, do, you know, answer this riddle. And then I'm going to get all this uh, stuff from them if it doesn't work. I don't understand this. It could, it could have been something the Philistines did. But then he goes on in verse 14 and said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. Now, I don't even know how this riddle was fair. Because if we hadn't just read this story, and somebody just said out of the eater came forth uh, meat, not, or what, what was it exactly? Uh I lost the spot already, but you, you all heard that riddle. That's not real clear. You know, how would anybody even figure that out? But the truth is, this is just kind of a stupid game. And you know what? You know what they say? You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And this foolish thing that he did, again, first off, what is he even doing marrying a Philistine? But not only is he marrying this Philistine, he's at this party now with 30 Philistines. He decides to play this stupid game with them where he gives them this riddle and bets them all this stuff that they can't get it. And then he goes and he thinks he's really smart. He gives them this riddle and it says it came to pass and then for three days they can't figure it out. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, entice thy husband that he may declare unto us the riddle lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have ye called us to take that we have? Is it not so? Now, when I read this here too, again, I don't understand these people. I don't understand the Philistines. I'm starting to get an idea though of why God didn't want Israel intermarrying with the Philistines. 
But it's like, are these people so bad off that, you know, it's each guy, all he's got to do is come up with one sheet and one change of garments. They should be able to survive that, right? I mean, Samson's the one that's got it tough because there's 30 he's got to come up with. But these people, they're going to, they're telling this woman, we will kill you and your family if you don't get the riddle for us. So I don't know if it was just they were that desperate to keep these items or if this was about saving their pride. They didn't want a Jew getting the better of them or something like that. I, I don't know what's going on, but these are just bad people you don't want to be messing with. And let me tell you, there's some people out there you don't want to, you just, you don't want to mess with them. So stay away from them. They're just going to get you in trouble. And so, verse 16, and Samson's wife wept before him. Okay, remember this. This is, this is the pretty woman that pleased Samson well, that he liked to look at, that he desperately wanted, that he's going to violate God's law. He's going to ignore God's warnings to get this woman. But now it says, but she's, now she starts the nagging process. She wept before him. Thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told it me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it my father nor my mother, and shall I tell it thee? And she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And it came to pass in the seventh day that he told her because she lay sore upon him and she told the riddle to the children of her people. So she literally nagged it out of him, crying for seven days, driving him crazy. Boy, Samson really is, so far this marriage has been great. This has been a great honeymoon so far where she's just driving him so crazy. One week in, think about it. What, one week in, this marriage is not looking like it's going to go well. And obviously it doesn't. So he does. She finds out the riddle and then she goes and tells, notice it's her people too. Her people. She's, you know, she's loyal to her people. So keep that in mind. Listen, you know, it is, it is the dumbest thing in the world. And same thing for girls and guys to just marry somebody and to just think you're going to change them. That, that's why never marry an unsaved girl. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard some stories. I heard one recently about a guy who um, got a lady saved out soul winning and eventually married her. I think that's fantastic. But you know what? Even if, I, even if you got a lady saved out soul winning, you know, give her a little bit of time <laughs> before you just, you, know, you just marry her. Make sure she's ready to live like a Christian, too. Because I'm telling you, uh, they can they can make you miserable, and she definitely did. And so and so, always remember, just because they're pretty unpleasant to look at, they do have minds, they do have wills. You have to live with them. And who cares how beautiful they are if they are a royal nag? Not worth it. And so, another thing for, that you know that young men and women need to get a hold of too, and parents, you need to understand this too is there can be, and there often are, major cultural problems that are very common with men and women in certain cultures. That, that's, you know, I, I understand that interracial marriage, I do believe that there is nothing unbiblical about interracial marriage. I think, I think it's okay, but just understand certain cultures often aren't compatible with each other. So while, you know, I don't, it's, I don't think it's ever a sin just because two people have different color skin that they can't marry each other. I don't, I don't believe that Bible teaches that at all. 
But I just will say, just practically, certain cultures aren't going to mix. And they might even both be decent people. But though they're, they're not going to be compatible with each other. And boy, this is another reason too. You should always go through your parents when it comes to these things because they know you. They know what marriage is like. They have watched you grow up. They know how you respond to things. And they, they know that just certain cultures or certain type of women are not going to work with you. And, you know, my wife and I, we've had that conversation many times about our kids where we're like, you know, this one needs to marry somebody like this. And, that, you know, this one needs to marry somebody like that. And we do. We're always thinking about that because we know how our kids are. And so just because it's not unbiblical to marry somebody doesn't mean it's practical or that it's going to work. And let me tell you something. It was unbiblical for Jews to marry Philistines during that time. But understand, too, it was unbiblical for a reason. And, and this, is, this, is a, this is a horrible marriage. Samson is married into a terrible culture and said, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know this because I don't know how it was with the Philistines. But it wouldn't surprise me if Samson's wife's behavior wasn't very common amongst Philistine women. You know, that might have been a rare thing for uh, a Jewish woman to do, but it might have been very common for a Philistine woman. And Samson, being a Jew, you know, maybe the, maybe the Jewish women, they were more submissive, and he didn't know how to handle this because he's never seen it. His mom wasn't like that. But, and, and often, the way your kids are going to handle things is going to be the way their dad handled things. And so understand when, when you know, he was in, he's in new territory right here, and he is not doing good. He's not doing good at all. And we all understand that there are, there are certain cultures where the women are way more feisty than other cultures. And, you know, and, you know I've always told my boys, stay away from those groups. You know, I, 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 I always stereotype. Okay? I try not to do it from the pulpit, but you better believe I do it at home. Because again, I want the best for my kids, and so I, I so I, I'm, I'm always telling you, you know, stay away from this kind. Don't don't get involved with that kind. I'll tell my girls, you know, you stay away from this kind of guy. In that culture, it is very common for there to be this kind of problem, and you're not going to be able to handle that. Now, maybe women from that culture they can handle it because they're used to that kind of thing, but we're not. And so always always keep those things in mind whenever it comes to who your kids marry. It's, it's so important. So verse 18 says, And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? I like how they did a Jeopardy response too. You know, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Uh, maybe I'm the only one seeing that. But <laughs> And he said unto them, and I like this line too with Samson, If ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. And... I know it's not appropriate to call ladies heifers or anything like that. Samson did. <laughs> Samson called his wife a heifer. And, uh, and I don't know if he meant it in the same way like we would normally would in our culture if you called a woman a heifer. You know, it, it, but um, I, I'm not trying to be crude or anything like that. But, you know, in our, in our culture, typically, if you call a woman a heifer, it's probably going to be a reference to her size. Or something like that. And I, you know, I think he's just saying that because that's something you plow with. And he's like, you know, you used my wife. You weren't smart enough to figure it out. And you say, and, you know, and he's, in, in his mind, he's probably thinking they cheated. But at the same time, too, he kind of knows, you know, my question wasn't that fair either. 
Again, he's playing stupid games. He's winning stupid prizes. This was, this was a foolish thing to do. He shouldn't have ever even been involved with these people. This was just a, a mess waiting to happen. But again, this is happening because God is using a backsliding guy to cause strife, contention, and problems. So ultimately, they will have a big clash and God can defeat the Philistines. But it, I, I don't believe it had to go down this way. I think God could have used Samson in a better way where things ended good for him. But unfortunately, he just was being way too disobedient. So verse 19 says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And you say, why? Samson did wrong. God's not trying to help out Samson here. God's trying to help himself out because God wants to defeat the Philistines. And so it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave a change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle and his anger was kindled and he went up to his father's house. So, you know, he didn't have the stuff on him. So he's like, I'm just going to go kill 30 Philistines and then I'll pay these guys back. So he, he came through on his deal, but he also killed 30 of their people. So again, you can just see offenses back and forth going on between two people that, you know, two groups that never should have had anything to do with each other. And, but God's allowing this to happen because God wants to deal with the Philistines. And so in verse 20, but Samson's wife was given to his, his, to his companion whom he had used as his friend. Now that is pretty bad too. Just Samson does something bad to them. They do something bad to him. Just going back and forth. And sure enough, Samson's father-in-law gives his daughter to someone else. And he said, is that even legal? Well, obviously with the Philistines it was. That was how they, I guess they were able to do things that way. Even though she was married, the father was still, was still able to give her to somebody else. And absolutely terrible with somebody that he had used as his friend. But everything that's happening right here, these things are all being done because God is creating a hostility between Samson and the Philistines. God wants Samson to deal with the Philistines and God wants the Philistines to be defeated by the hands of Samson. I don't know. I don't know this, but you know, maybe Samson was just supposed to go and wage war against him in the beginning, but he didn't want to. Because remember, that was the problem that Israel had is because they had the land subdued and the people subdued early on in the book of Judges, they got comfortable and they're like, ah, you know what? Let's just let these people stay around. But they end up becoming a big thorn in their flesh. And so God's given Samson this power, but Samson isn't going and fighting the Philistines. So God has to allow all these things to take place. So Samson will start hating on the Philistines. So he'll go fight him. And I think he just should have just ran them out and had a war right away. And it would have been okay. It, it would have been biblically sanctioned because God had commanded them to drive those people out of the land. So that's what that's what should have happened. Samson should have just got an army together and led an army and attack the Philistines. But no, he's got to go through all this stuff. He's got to uh, go through this humiliation, marry a woman, only to be miserable for the seven days they're married, and then for her to be given to somebody else. And so you could say in this story, there's kind of a small victory for for Israel because there's 30 less Philistines to deal with. But in reality. This was God putting everything in place for the big showdown. So far, God's will is being accomplished, 
But Samson who is sinning is not benefiting from it. And I'm telling you, God is always, God's going to accomplish what he needs to accomplish with us. It's just, is it going to be good for us or bad? We're going to glorify God. And, 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 I, and I mentioned before, and I want to show some examples of this because this is important because I think too, if we, if we understand this, this will help us too to have more of a dependency on God when it comes to, you know, some, we need to have a dependency on God for everything. But specific, there's something very specific where I think we need a greater dependency on God. But again, recently, I, when I talked about how God would stir up people and how he would stir up kings and move them to do his will. The Bible doesn't always give us the stories about how he did it, but that's literally what we're seeing here in Judges chapter 14. This is God stirring Samson's heart against the Philistines. This is God stirring the Philistines' hearts against Samson because God wants there to be a showdown. God wants there to be a battle. And in Proverbs 21, Proverbs 21 verse 1, this is a pretty well-known verse, but it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. And, And understand, when God turns the heart of the king, God usually uses something. God might use a circumstance. God might use a person. The Bible sometimes records what God uses. Sometimes it doesn't. But I believe God still does this today. I believe when it comes to, uh, when it comes to national things, when it comes to uh, global crises and things and wars, without a doubt, I do believe God is involved in those things. You say, well, you know, there was a war because this person did whatever. Well, you know what? God probably stirred their heart to do that. Because God wanted there to be a war to deal with, you know, to, to punish somebody. You know, at the end of the day, I wouldn't even pretend to understand how God is getting everything in place. But we all understand everything that's happening in the world right now is leading to Armageddon. That's where it's all going to eventually lead. Eventually, we are, there is going to be a one world government. Eventually, there's going to be, you know, a one world monetary system. There is going to be one man that's put over all of it. Why is, and, and you know what? Things are happening now that are causing people's hearts to go towards that kind of thing. And God's behind it. But understand, God's behind it, but it's because judgment's coming. It's a bad thing. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's going to be a really bad thing on this world. We see in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 13, it says, How be it, this is after Solomon... Uh, after Solomon had sinned and it said, and I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David, my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon. Hadad the Edomite, he was of the king's seed in Edom. So the Bible does not tell us what God did to stir up Hadad against Solomon. But you know what? I guarantee you, it was similar stuff like what we're seeing in Judges, where there was conflicts between individuals. And, and look at, you know, I mean, and World War One. Remember how World War One got started? It pretty much started, somebody got insulted, you know, and it became a global thing. It became a world war. What was going on? I mean, did, did all that really happen because of one little thing? Well, yeah, because God was using that, stirring the hearts. Because again, 
judgment. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. First Chronicles 5.25 says, And they transgressed against the God of their fathers and went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land, whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tilgath-Pilneser, king of Assyria, and he carried them away, even the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Hala and Habor and Hera, into the river Gozan, unto this day. God stirred their hearts to do this thing. Why? Because God was judging Israel during this time. They were, they were in trouble with God, so God stirred, God stirred their hearts. Now, I say all that because here's the lesson that we need to get from it. Whenever, you, whenever we see um, you know, a spirit, like, like when it comes to global events, when you see a spirit in our nation, look at how our nation, isn't it interesting the, the things that everybody all of a sudden universally gets worried about look how many different pandemics and flus there were throughout history but all of a sudden when it came to covid we panicked why is that you know what i think it was god judging our nation you know god and so people can say well all these things happened because of covid well god used that virus you could say to stir the hearts of america to panic to judge us you could say, in a lot of ways. And, and so, you know, wh- whatever it is, whether it's a spirit in the church, whether it's a spirit in a home, whether it's a spirit be- between individuals, God often stirs those things up. God uses those things to accomplish His will. And at the end of the day, while we often might blame it on circumstances and different things, what we need to do is just whenever anything like that bad's going on, we need to get a hold of God and get right with God. And that's what... Israel needed to do during this time. Israel was not right with God. Israel was not being obedient to God. And so God's doing all these things behind the scenes in a really ugly way for them to get them doing what they were supposed to do in dealing with the Philistines. And so what we just need to get a hold of is just we need to be more dependent on God and and looking to God more when when it comes to whatever it is we're dealing with. If you're worried about the heart of our leaders, we need to get a hold of God and say, Lord, we need you to change their heart on these things. Because one of these days, okay, there's been a ton of mass shootings in our country. But one of these days, I I think it's very likely that there will finally be a mass shooting. Might not be any worse than any other ones, but it will be the one that finally just causes the leaders to say, all right, that's it. We're taking their guns. And, you know, and when that happens, it's going to be really bad for our country when the government gets that kind of control. And so just like finally a virus is a normal thing, caused everything to panic, the government to get more control, uh, it, it will probably be something little God uses. You know, there, you know, we often think too, and I've said this before, and, you know, and it, it very well may be true, but all it would take to just really get a, another world war going and things are really good crazy is if somebody just dropped a nuke somewhere. If a nuke ever goes off anywhere in the world, they will be able to use that to get us panicking about everything and giving the government unlimited control. But you know what? After seeing the way our country reacted in 2020, it might not even take a nuke. I mean... Benjamin Netanyahu might blow his nose and that's all it will take to just get our entire country completely losing its mind 
and given the government all power and authority. And it's like, how could, how could something little like that do that? You know why? Because God's behind it. God's stirring the hearts. And, alt- and, and so whatever the situation, you know, we don't want to just blame events and things like that. We just need to understand God's trying to get a hold of us. God's trying to get a message across. And what we need to do is not find out what's wrong in these other countries and all this other stuff. We need to find out, Lord, where are we wrong with you? Lord, what, are you, what is it that you want from our country? Lord, what is it you want from your people? What is it you want from this church? What is it you want from me as an individual? Figure out what that, what that is and do something about it. And because God's going to get his will done. But I want when God's will to get done, when it, when it gets done, that it to be good for me. I want it to be, I want to be, I'd rather be victorious in that. I don't want to be in humiliation like Samson. And I, I don't want to end that way. And any of us are capable of that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help. And I pray, Lord, you'll just help us to, whenever we see uh, things going on in the world, hostility, you know, whatever, Lord, help us to always just seek your face in every one of those things. Lord, often you're the last one we go to, but help us to have the attitude of just going to you first and making sure that things are all good uh, between us and you and you'll help us to uh, figure out what it, help figure out what it is you want from us and that we'll get it done in your name we pray amen